Well, I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 25. Just simply want to entitle this, The Last Things. And this section in Matthew 25 is a continuation of a couple of chapters where Jesus is constantly referring to his disciples to be prepared, to be ready, uh, to be faithful. And he kind of concludes this in uh, chapter 25, and we'll begin our reading at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he'll separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him in surprise, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of these least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. Then he'll say to those who are on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or, hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do, for one of these least you did not do for me, then they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Now it's pretty clear here in this passage of scripture there's some good news and what? Some bad news right here. Now, this is the last things. You can see that it's at the very end of the world. It's the nations that are being called. The king has come down from heaven. 
please don't interpret this as a parable. It's not a parable. There is a word picture here, but it's a simile. It's my judgment will be like this. But he speaks of being a king and coming and bringing these uh, nations before him and before his holy angels. So the first thing that we see in these verses, uh, verses 31 through 33, is the simple truth that there is going to be a final judgment and all of us will be participating in that final judgment. Uh, it's very consistent with what we see in the book of Romans or in 1 Corinthians and Romans 14, 10, and 12. It talks about we must all. So he's speaking to a church, not speaking to people outside the church. He's speaking, Paul speaking to the church in particular, say we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And then it says that we're going to be rewarded in verse 12 for the things that we have done for the advance of the kingdom. And then you see this again in, in 1 Corinthians uh, 3, 10 and following, that famous passage that says that based upon how we built our life in the service of the kingdom, that we build with wood, hay, and stubble, that would be burned up and the people who genuinely believed in Christ but had really not contributed to the advance of the kingdom of Christ will be saved even though as through fire, as if they were saved but none of their works were of any benefit to the kingdom of God. And so all of that was consumed. Or there were those who um, built with gold or silver or precious stones and those things would be shown also on this day of judgment. So what you're seeing here in Matthew is now going to be repeated in almost every single one of the writers of the epistles. They're all going to speak about a concluding act of God through Jesus Christ where he will judge the world in righteousness. And you see it in the book of Hebrews where it talks about how it's a, a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I mean, these are pretty direct words. You see it in the book of Revelation over and over again. Uh, there are messages of what we call wheel, and then there are messages of what we call woe. And these woes, you remember there's one section of the book of Revelation where you have the seven woes that are being pronounced. And so what we're seeing here is this is the message of Jesus. Now, what's important for us also to see that this is a concluding message. Chapter 25, the disciples have asked them certain things about when the end will come. And then there's a series of ways in which Jesus uses parable, direct instruction, simile, and other things to drive home these points. Now, just the, the simplest way, 
We come to that judgment seat prepared, or we come to that judgment seat absolutely unprepared. We either have heard the message of the scriptures that focus on Christ. We understand that this Christ is the agent through whom God made the world. We understand that the entire Old Testament pointed toward him, and especially the aspects of him being a sacrifice to take away the penalty and the guilt of the burden of our sin. Then we hear the gospel message of, of the birth of Christ, the Christmas story. God intervenes into this world. What we could not do for ourselves, God did in sending his son. And his son comes from heaven, the son of God, born of Mary, God of God, man of man. And these two natures are in this one person of Jesus Christ. Now, he lives this life. It's a life that at the end, those who have placed him on trial cannot find any guilt. He directly asks them, what guilt do you find? The message of the rest of the scripture is, it is he who knew no sin, he who was sinless. But we see on the cross, he assumes sin. He who knew no sin became sin. In other words, your sin, my sin, was placed on Christ. Now, the question is, have you received this Christ, knowing that in receiving him, you have seen him take your sin upon himself. So when he dies, he pays all the penalty for yours and my sin. There's a lot of ways we could unfold this. We could talk about God's wrath against sin, and we can just say simply that because of the wrath of God poured out upon Jesus Christ, God is no longer angry with us. So we say the cross means God's wrath is removed from us. We say sometimes when we sin against one another that we're alienated or we're estranged. And the blood of Christ is our reconciliation and our peace, the blood of his cross to take away every encumbrance that would separate us in a relationship with God and to establish peace, the peace of the cross. You know, I think of my own life prior to coming to Christ, and I was basically in bondage to certain kinds of sin. Christ's death redeemed me. It was my redemption price. In redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, I was set free from the bondage to sin and to guilt, and I was set free to the glorious liberty of the children of God, and I began to thrive as a Christian person. Now, all of these things are aspects of what it means for a person who doesn't know Christ to come to Christ and to receive the benefits of Christ. And so we put our faith in him. And then we know that his righteous life, his atoning death, all of that is ours. 
and we are absolutely acceptable to God in Christ Jesus. Uh, you know, you sometimes you understand much, and you come to faith in Christ. I think of a, uh, one of our Indian apologetics uh, teachers now, a man named Ravi Zacharias, and here he was in Africa, and he knew very, very little. But he said he knew that the, the Christian's God would forgive sin. And so he just simply said, God, you say through your son Jesus that you will forgive me my sin. And that's what I'm asking you to do. That simple prayer by a young Indian boy was the transformation of his life. It was faith in Christ Jesus. And on the basis of that faith, this immense life has unfolded over the last 30, 40 years. And Ravi Zacharias is now an internationally known evangelist and uh, defender of the faith. But it all began with very, very little knowledge, but genuine faith in Jesus Christ. Now the question is, have we asked that Lord Jesus Christ to be our Savior? Have we invited him in? Have we received him? And we say, okay, I understand that. I can't decide that for you. I can explain it to you. But you must act upon the information that you receive. In the same way, we explain this to other people. We urge them. I would urge you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that you may be saved. All right, these people come here. Now they're appearing before the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that there's an immediate division. So in this division, you have a picture, a, a simile from the ancient world. You have the sheep, which are a, a picture in the Old Testament of blessing. So the sheep are put now in a position of being favored, the right hand. This is the hand of power. This is the hand of blessing. And so these sheep are moved on the basis of their faith in Christ Jesus into this position of being the king. Now he's come here as king. He's come here to judge. And all the world is gathered and off to the right from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation move those who have legitimately put their faith in Christ Jesus. Second thing is the goats. Um, why do you always think that we talk about people being the what of a joke? The goat of the joke, yeah. These are off to the left. This is the the, the hand not of, of blessing, but the picture of displeasure. There's a separation, notice. A group over here and a group over here. It's similar to the way we talk about our sins being separated from us as far as the east is from the west. It creates a separation between us and our sins. Now the righteous are separated from
from the unrighteous who are separated in a different direction. That's the picture that we see here. Now, as we move to look at this now, we see that the believers are rewarded here. And that begins in verse 34 and runs down through verse 40. And the key thing now is reward. I want you to go from point A to point B. There is an initial separation, and those who are saved are moved in this position of being sheep. They're off to the right. And now there begin to be pictures of reward. This comes back into the previous chapters where he's talking about the faithful servants and the way they've been given some and how are they rewarded. Well, they're rewarded in a disproportionate manner. If you just did a little, you're going to be rewarded much. That's the picture that you see here. So these are, are pictures primarily of how you and I have related to the advance of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. This business of taking care of the hungry, taking care of the thirsty, visiting the one that was in prison, clothing the naked, etc. In verse 40, the king answers and say to them, Truly I say to you to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even to the least of them, you did it to me. The picture here is that there are those who are going to go out to advance the kingdom, and they are going to be in various stages of need. As their needs are met, then they are strengthened and freed to continue to advance the kingdom. And so the picture here is the king is rewarding these who have contributed to that. Now, I just would encourage you. We want to have faith in Christ Jesus, but we want to be these people that are in the previous parables. If God's given you five talents, well, there's maybe you can have some trouble figuring out how you might invest them. Let me just give you a direct way you might invest them. You know a Christian worker that needs some help to further their work? You know a missionary whose accounts in deficit? Do you know other Christian projects in the community that need either physical help or material help to advance what they're doing? Well, as you invest there, then those people take what you've invested and it multiplies itself out in the advance of the kingdom, and that advance originated in some small part with you and with me. And so we're called here to constantly invest in the kingdom. That's what he's saying all through chapter 24 and chapter 25. So as we, we see this, the, the point that I'd like to make to you at this time is What's going to happen here? 
we're at the end of the age and we're going to be rewarded for what we have done in this life. Now, as we, we look at this, we need to see this. At this stage, the life that you and I are now living and enjoying will be over when this happens. When we come to this point in time, the way we think about time will be over. It will not be a succession of day and night, in week and month, in month, in year, in year, in decade, etc., etc. No, we move from this type of life into a state of living. And that state of living is called eternity. And so these rewards aren't merely something that we're going to receive and we'll say, well, that's nice, you know, mom gave me a big allowance this week. Instead of getting five bucks, I got ten bucks. Well, how long's ten bucks going to last? Just a couple more days. And that reward that you received, well, it's flown away. No, this reward that God gives to us on this day carries us through eternity. That's the nature of the reward here. It, it is going to be totally disproportionate to what God's given us. Now, I think the key thing that you would want to see from chapter 24 and chapter 25, beyond just merely having faith, is having made contributions, made investments, continuing to uh, be a part of the advance of the gospel and the kingdom in the world. And we all have great opportunity to do that, and we ought to avail ourselves in it. You know, people have done nice things to me, and I never knew about it. All of a sudden, I just noticed that things were going a little better, or something was happening in the work, and um, you know, there were some provisions there, and I had no clue where they came from. Maybe somewhere down the road, somebody pulled me aside and just said, you know, remember when such and such happened three, four, five months ago? I said, yeah, that was kind of puzzling. And they say, well, that's because so-and-so over here heard about what you were doing in this work, and they contributed. Or so-and-so over here told this person who moved into the community that they thought would be in, interested in being involved in your work and what you were doing, and they came and joined your church or church plant, and all of a sudden things took off. You're, we never know how the Lord's investing our lives in the kingdom. It is sometimes almost imperceptible the kind of of small little touch that we can add to something that will, in the life of a Christian worker, again, make some kind of a disproportionate uh, sense of encouragement or boost or renewal to that Christian worker. That's what we need to see that we're about. Remember that guy in the early part of the book, Acts? 
His name was Son of Encouragement. Remember, I mentioned him Sunday morning. Barnabas. We want to be like that. Constantly finding ways to encourage people. That doesn't mean some of you that just love to tee off and tease me that I want you to stop. You know, you can continue. I, I take it and use it as encouragement, but you know what I'm saying. We don't want to be a stumbling block to other people. Now let's turn the corner because there is bad news here. And that bad news begins in verse 41. And I don't know how we, how we relate to this. We need to see that there are people out there that are against the kingdom. In this very particular time when Jesus is speaking at the end of his ministry, their planning is death. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the priests, the scribes, the lawyers. But we do see in the early chapters of the book of Acts many of these people who were like Saul of Tarsus, you remember? Putting Stephen to death. He was a violent oppressor. He was a man who persecuted the church. Many of these people came to faith. We know people that are not contributing to the kingdom, and we have that kind of an archaic way of saying and thinking about these people. We say they're outside the pale, and you know, they're beyond reaching, and we, we, we basically write them off. And I would just encourage you not to do that, but to think that God may use you don't give up on people is what I'm saying. Don't give up on anyone. Continue to reach out to them. But here is what happens to people who uh, are those who come to the end of their lives apart from Christ. He's saying to those on his left, depart from me. Now, not only are these people separated from the sheep, they're separated from Christ. They're moved away from him. Where Christ is is heaven. Where Christ is is blessing. Apart from Christ is not good. Depart from me into an eternal fire. You see that in 41? Look down to 46. It's an eternal punishment. We should never think that anyone goes out of existence. According to the scripture, no one ever goes out of existence. No one ever ceases to be. Our lives go on, and they're going to go on in resurrected bodies, the sheep and the goats. Now, sheep blessed in their bodies, body and soul together. Goats, unbelievers, body and soul together. Eternal fire, eternal punishment. What is the cause? Again, he says in verse 45, I say to you to the extent that you did not do it for the one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. Here are people, what are they doing? They are 
hindering in this particular case. These particular people, in the way it's spoken of here, are hindering the advance of the kingdom of God in the world. They're not contributing to it. They're turning a blind eye and a deaf ear and a heartlessness towards people that are involved in the kingdom. And it, it, it's destructive and hurtful. And as a result of this, they experience an eternal fire and an eternal punishment. There are rewards by degree for the sheep depending on the level of our faithfulness, depending upon the level of our participation in the things of the Lord. There are degrees over here of punishment for those who stand against the church. You know, you always kind of, when you use a sermon illustration, you're kind of, if you haven't looked it up, which this one I haven't, I feel I'm hostage to the man who made the illustration. But the man who made the illustration is R.C. Sproul. And he has often remarked about Joseph Stalin. You remember that man? He was known as the butcher of the Ukraine. Now, in some of the ways that R.C. Sproul has used that man as an illustration throughout his life, do you know that Joseph Stalin studied for the priesthood? To study to be an Orthodox priest. Does that make him more culpable? Now according to Sproul, I know this is really going to seem bizarre, that Joseph Stalin had basically memorized the New Testament. How much more culpable are we getting? Now, according to his daughter, Svetlana, that when Stalin was on his deathbed, that he was fading away, and then at the very last moments of his life, he rallied, and in great strength, he lifted up from his waist off of the bed, and he lifted up both fists like this toward heaven, and just shook at God. That's what his daughter said. And then he just fell back into his bed and was gone. Now I doubt if there's anybody that we're going to know right away in our lives that are going to be in the next dormitory from Stalin. But that kind of resistance and arrogance towards God is going to be very different from people that we know who have just rejected Christ. How do you how do you make some kind of a discrimination between a better place in hell though and a worse place in hell? How can you make that discrimination? I, I know that I don't think any of us are capable of that. We need to see for ourselves what the scriptures are teaching, front to back New Testament. Faith in Christ 
gives us entrance into heaven. Our faithful service to Christ determines an eternal reward. We need to pursue those things in faithfulness. At the same time, we need to pursue as many people as we know that are not believers to keep them from going to this eternal fire and this eternal punishment. Let's pray. Father, as we think of this whole series on heaven and eternal life, we see that it comes for us to a glorious consummation and conclusion in the presence of our God with all the holy angels and all the hosts of heaven. And may this move us with great joy to celebrate all Christ has done for us. But help us also to be clear that we have faith in that Christ for this salvation. And help us to be also very clear in our need to reach out to family and friends, people we work with, people that turn a deaf ear to the gospel, to encourage them over and over again so that they might at some stage of their life, like Saul of Tarsus, repent and begin to love and serve the living God through Christ our Savior. We pray in his name. Amen.